The Anchored City podcast is recorded in Anchorage, Alaska, on the traditional lands of the Denina Athabascan people. City Podcast, where we're connecting with Anchorage's soul through her histories, stories, and people. I'm your host, Joel Kiekenfeld. The theme for this entire season came from a conversation that my coworker had last summer in which someone said, I didn't know anyone ever got out of being homeless. That comment caused us to wonder how many of us see homelessness and other topics that we've discussed this season as something that can't be alleviated or even eradicated. On this episode, we're considering what is possible in the area of homelessness in Anchorage. Joining me are two local pastors, Andre Parker from Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church and Matt Schultz from First Presbyterian. They share with us two different creative community responses that are sheltering and housing our unhoused neighbors. This episode is a bit like too many episodes with a pair of short interviews. Here are my conversations with Andre Parker and Matt Schultz. I have dreamed of faraway places Where imagination just gets lost And I would search the wide world over For one proverb that is true But of all the roads I'll ever walk I just, I can't have you Well, um, my name is uh, Andre Parker. I am the senior pastor at Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. Uh, That's my um, current and primary role here in the city of Anchorage and involved in so many other things here in the city. Uh, But I think that will suffice. And I'm uh, thankful and grateful for the opportunity uh, to share in this moment with Joel and the uh, team in addressing Uh, some of the major issues of our city. Yeah, so as you know, we've been um, talking this season about what is possible um, in the city and and really around things that often we feel kind of helpless, uh, really big issues or problems or things that feel like they're insurmountable. Um, And one of those issues has been homelessness. And I know that you're involved with the emergency cold weather shelter. So would you explain just what is the emergency cold weather shelter Um, here in Anchorage. Okay, yeah, I'd love to do that. Um, uh, Shiloh has been involved in uh, the emergency cold weather shelter program since about uh, 2015 or so, so it's been a little while, but uh, the emergency cold weather shelter is for uh, sober families, in in short, uh, adults with children under 18 
and for pregnant women. Uh, it's been around, from what I understand, uh, since 2010, and uh, under the direction, the direction of the Christian Health Associates, and they coordinate the uh, efforts of church and community partners. Uh, the churches volunteer; uh, they, uh, you know, solicit volunteers to provide a safe place to uh, for clients to settle and sleep. To uh, we provide meals, snacks. Uh, and we do uh, provide hospitality. And this is done seven days a week. Uh, currently, there are about 10 churches that participate in the program. And then there's a partnership with the community. And the community uh, lists um, uh, United Way, Awake, um, ASD, Child in Transition, and, so, and, and some others that work uh, with the program. Uh, Rural CAP works with the program, and they provide a case management services and guidance uh, so the families can be uh, navigated through this whole housing pipeline is what they call it, uh, and to try to help them get into permanent housing. And then you have the Anchorage Coalition to End Homelessness that provides a connection to the broader community and help uh, families that are experiencing homelessness get uh, resources and support uh, to help them. Uh, I I'll say this as it relates to the family um, Emergency Code where there's a shelter program, uh, volunteers are the backbone of the program. And so really without the volunteers, and of course we know we need resources, but without the volunteers, it's, it's really hard for uh, those families that are experiencing homelessness to get the kind of uh, safety, the um, sleep, meals, snacks, the hospitality, the service uh, that they need. And so it's an opportunity for us in the Christian context uh, to spread the love of Jesus, uh, the love of Christ. And, and since we've been involved in the program uh, for a number of years, uh, we've kind of taken the heart, I've kind of taken the heart, the words of uh, Matthew 25 and 40, it says where uh, Jesus said, truly I tell you where whatever you do for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you've done it to me. And so we take that to heart, but that's uh, kind of a simple synopsis of what the program is and how it operates. But seven days a week, we work to uh, help families uh, stay out of the streets. I know for a number of years when the program first started, and as you said, it's been around for for well, 13 years or so, um, folks were actually being housed in different churches around the city. And I know that that's changed um, over the last couple of years, could you speak to that a little bit? What the the shift has been there from the the model that started, which was literally churches saying, "Well, we have a warm space that folks can stay in," to to the model that's being used now. Yeah, so we we started out, um, yeah, started out with churches participating. It started out with the community partners, and then the churches came aboard and said, "Yes, we have that space." And so uh, we will provide. I'll just use Shiloh as an example. We will provide a space. And uh, we were doing, I think, um, second and fourth Friday nights, and families would come in between 6 and 10 a.m. and stay overnight. We would provide overnight security, if you will, volunteers, um, and we would provide a hot meal, place to sleep, showers, all those different things. Well, of course, when COVID hit, uh, a lot of that changed, that that shifted how we would do COVID, uh, do uh, the cold weather sheltering. And then after about two years, so 2020 around, uh, we paused the um, uh, shelters at the churches. And then in 2022, when we brought it back, uh, the city 
the Anchorage, Anchorage um, uh, Coalition in Homelessness got some funding, uh, from what I understand, to provide shelter. And so uh, we decided in our discussion that it probably was not a good idea and probably a better solution for us to provide, a, try to find a single site uh, to uh, house individuals. And it, I think it helped two things. One, families were being kind of, if you will, shifted from place to place, place to place, place to place. And if you're trying to get people into housing, it was kind of hard to get them to see the just the consistency of life and living when you move them from one church to the next. One night they're at this location, well, the next night they're at this location, the other night they may be in a hotel, they may be at this. So um, in, when we brought the program back, uh, the consensus was that we would try to find a single site and we have found that single site uh, that we house individuals at and we really work off volunteers now. Uh, the churches provide that uh, resource of volunteers. And, and if I may, if I just, just list those churches, um, uh, First Presbyterians, uh, St. Mary's Episcopal, uh, Anchorage United, uh, Unitarian Fellowship, Central Lutheran, First Covenant, First Methodist Church, Kingdom Life, St. John Methodist Church, uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, of course, Shiloh uh, participation. So all these churches provide volunteers seven days a week, that's weekends included, at this single site. Uh, and it's working a little bit better uh, than the moving people from place to place because they have a location they can come to all the time. And of course, ultimately the goal is to get people into permanent housing. So COVID really helped that shift. And uh, we think right now it's uh, doing a lot better uh, for us. Well, and I know part of that shift as well was having on-site, um, like an on-site case manager or navigator that's also there that folks can access right on site without having to go, like you said, moving, moving church to church, but also then moving to different locations to, to connect with services. So I know that there's been one of the, one of the silver linings to the cloud of, of COVID was that some of these services were added that were needed to be in place previously. Yeah, so true. And that that's very important just to touch on that. It is, it is so important to be able to uh, have clients there and then have the support right there on hand. Um, a lot of these families don't have transportation. They can't get around. And so it's really good to have those services, Rural Cap and others right there on site to help them transition through this homelessness pipeline and get the help and support they need. So, yeah, thank you for bringing that out. This is maybe putting you on the spot a little bit because I, I didn't uh, <laughs> ask you about this in the questions beforehand, but well, how many folks is does the um, emergency cold weather shelter ser serve like on any given night or over the year? Like, what is the demand for that service in the city? Yeah. So talking to my coordinator here at Shiloh, there's about 25 families that I understand that come to the program and those numbers shift and change. So uh, sometimes I get updates. A lot of times I just work with my coordinator, uh, but there are a lot of families that need uh uh, housing. Again, this program is for families, um, sober families to be specific, uh, with uh, children and then with pregnant women. So uh, the number is a little uh, lower, but uh, it is a great need because sometimes we see the same people 
and then sometimes there are different people. So uh, the last number I remember seeing was about uh, 25 uh, families a day. Um, and so throughout the year, it's, it's a lot of families that come through the program. Well, and what I what I find very interesting is that often without a family shelter, what happens is folks end up, the family has to get kind of broken up um, to get into shelter. Um, you know, mom goes one way, dad goes another, kids go another way. And this way they can all stay together, which I think is really important. Yeah, it's a beautiful place. Uh, we want to keep families together. Absolutely. I You said in your intro, and I know from uh, knowing you that you're involved in lots of places in the city, not just with emergency cold weather shelter. Um, so I think you're a great person to ask this question to. So we've been asking this question of what is possible. Um, and in this area of homelessness, what would you say is possible in Anchorage? Hmm. What is possible in Anchorage? You know, that that is a, I think that's kind of a loaded question. As I think about that question, it's just uh, my goodness, it's just so many possibilities. And I guess I'll preference my statement with this. We believe in the church, of course, with God, all things are possible. And so we know that. But though, though sometimes that becomes kind of a mystic, uh, clouded, foggy view of just saying that. What is the ten? What are the, some of the tangible things that I think in our city we can do? And I think uh, I would just lift one of those, and then two of those I think are a broader issue. But one of those, I think, is just affordable housing, um, just the biggest issue, affordable housing. I think a lot of the zoning issues and areas where people can build and and then the, the cost of getting a house is just expensive. And if you're already experiencing homelessness, if you're already struggling financially, economically, there's no way in the city of Anchorage or anywhere else possibly in this state you will be able to find a good housing. So I, I really believe our what is possible. I, I believe there's funding. I believe there are resources. I believe there are monies available where those that uh, have the power to do so will direct funding where we can have affordable housing, uh, build more housing that is affordable, that people can't afford them. And then maybe a, a rent prevention program where I think this is possible. These are things that can possible. So when families that are experiencing homelessness or are potentially experiencing homelessness are able to go into this program where they do not lose their homes. And, and let me just say, I, I speak to a lot of people and I've spoken to people that are homeless and have become homeless. And the fact is, it was some of them, it was no fault of their own. Circumstances happened. They lost their job. Uh, the, the corporation just did cutbacks and they were in that number and they were not able to keep up with their rent. Um, there was an emergency came come up in the health or whatever, and they had to redirect funding. All these things are real things that a lot of our homeless population, our, our friends and our neighbors experience that sometimes we overlook. And yes, we do understand the mental issue uh, that go on. And so I think that's enough. That's the second part of this. So one is uh, providing for affordable housing. And second is, I think it is possible for us to uh, help those that are seriously ill, identify who they are, provide the consistent resources. And I say that uh, emphatically, consistent resources to help these individuals uh, move beyond where they are. And, and then we also understand there are some that just don't want the help. We, we just got to be truthful about that. 
Uh, and I experienced that personally at Shiloh. We just, there's some people just tell us, I don't want this. And, and there's no other way we can help them. So they, they choose to be in that area. But there are others that are really, that really need help and they're not getting the help they need. I don't think, I believe. That's my, just my perspective. And again, the third one is on this broader area. Uh, and this may not be a popular topic, so you may want to cut this one out. I don't know. But uh, I, I just believe that in our country, we need to take care of home before we try to take care of abroad. Uh, there are too many resources, I believe, being spent on countries uh, beyond the United States addressing uh, issues that I think need to be addressed right at home first. And in the state of Alaska, our governor, our mayor, and all those that are in powers to be can tell the government, federal government, hey, send funds to Alaska, <laughs> send funds to Anchorage so that we can help our neighbors, our people, before you send it overseas to other countries. I, I think that's just a big issue that we need to deal with. These things, I believe, are possible. Uh, I believe they are possible if we just determine to do them. It, it can happen. I, I really believe that. So if somebody wants to get involved in this area, somebody came to you um, wanting to get involved in the area of homelessness in Anchorage, um, and maybe they're coming from a position where originally it felt like it's just too big a thing. I don't know where to get involved. Um, what, where would you where would you point them? Where's a place where, where folks can get involved? I mean, obviously advocating for some of the things that you were talking about, speaking to their representatives about the things that, but where would you point them to get involved if they're wanting to, to contribute, to be part of the community? Um, solution to this. Yeah, so I'll just I, I just simply direct them to the central agency, <laughs> which is uh, the Christian Health Associate. That's uh, the, the the associate director. There is uh, Dave Kuyper. Uh, he's the point of contact, and I believe uh, whether it's political, you know, advocating, or just being involved in the family emergency call with a shelter, he will be the point of contact and. And he can be reached at the Krishna Hub Associates uh, office, uh, but um, providing his number 907-802-1502, 907-802-1502. Uh, he, he'll be more than welcome to direct people to where they need to go. Uh, 907-802-1502. And of course, if you can't get a hold of him, I'm always available uh, to direct people as well. Uh, but th that will be the central locator. People want to get involved. And, and I will say this, it's not hard. It's not easy. Uh, we may not be able to do everything, but we can all do something. And it may may simply uh, be providing a meal, maybe uh, uh, you know, being a warm uh, listening ear for someone. Uh, we can do something. So. Uh, we don't have it's not going to take a lot of people's time. And so I would encourage everybody, uh, our whole community to get involved with trying to eradicate uh, this crisis in our city. Well, my last question for you is uh, about you yourself. Um, you have a spiritual or mindfulness or self-care practice that you do that helps keep you centered in the middle of all all the important work that you're doing in the city. Uh, well, it's, it's numerous. Uh, I uh, I spend time, a lot of time, reading uh, the Bible um, and other um, motivational, encouraging um, 
quotes and books that help me. Uh, my morning routine to help me throughout the day is to get up. Uh, I spend time first just sitting and reflecting uh, on uh, the day that is to come because <laughs> I really don't honestly don't always know what's going to happen. So I really just spend time reflecting and resting and uh, asking God to kind of direct me and that my strength and my uh, encouragement comes through definitely the word of God and prayer. And um, and I, and then I see how God begins to move. Uh, beyond that, I, I do take time off. I, I take personal time. I take me time. Um, I haven't been doing a lot of the things that I want to do uh, because of some other stuff. But a lot of time, my me time is just sitting at home and not doing anything. Uh, but a lot of times I will. Uh, I love summertime fishing, riding my bike, um, uh, going out, doing some other things. So that, that self-care, I think, is very important. Um, the spiritual aspect of making sure I'm whole. And I have this uh, saying that I borrowed and taken from another pastor. Uh, when I get better, the people get better. And so I believe that uh, I have to make sure I'm uh, well, I'm whole. And so I spend those times early in the morning when I get up, spend time with the Lord. Uh, throughout the day, I'm seeking God and asking him to kind of guide me in my discussions and my movements. And then I take that personal time. I just do what I want to do and nobody tell me otherwise. And so uh, that's 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 really how I deal with uh, the things of the day, um, uh, because a lot of things come and I just don't know what's going to happen. So I think God settles me early in the morning and and uh, helps me to stand throughout the day. Thank you so much for sharing that and for coming on and talking about the important work of of helping to alleviate homelessness in Anchorage. I appreciate it. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you, Joe, and for inviting me. And I hope that uh, we can all do our part. That I have yet to cross And I have dreamed of faraway places Where imagination just gets lost and I would search the wide world over for one proverb that is true. But of all the roads I'll ever walk, I just, I can't have you. Hi, everybody. I'm Reverend Matthew Schultz. I'm pastor at First Presbyterian Church here in Anchorage, Alaska. I'm also on the steering committee for Christians for Equality. And boy, howdy, I'm also doing a few other things. I am on the Homelessness Leadership Council, I'm on the Downtown Community Council, and I'm on the Board of Directors for Covenant House Alaska. I mentioned those things because they're sort of pertinent to what we're talking about today. Yeah, they definitely are. So this season on the podcast, we're talking about what is possible and kind of in response to some issues just feel like they're huge and there's no way to like, maybe there isn't anything possible or they can't change or those type of things. Um, and I know that you're, you and, and First Presbyterian are involved in lots of ways in the city, but one of them was um, getting some of our unhoused neighbors housed in kind of a unique way. So I'd love to hear that story and, and, and find out a little bit more about how you all got involved in that way. Sure. Yeah. And I want to preface the whole thing by saying, 
Uh, I played just one part on the team at my church and our church played just one part on a citywide team. And so if I say anything that sounds uh, self-aggrandizing, please know it's that's not my intent. Um, but I'm really proud of the church. We have some wonderful volunteers who are current or retired lawyers. And so they stepped right up when we were approached by Michelle Brown at the Rasmussen Foundation to say, uh, I got a crazy idea for you. Uh, what if... Um, we all raised our hands and purchased the guest house hotel, which was at that time up for sale. The The seller was uh, personally motivated to use the hotel for the cause of good, you know, wanting to make that work because he could have sold it at a probably at a higher profit in another uh, way, uh, but wanted to do something good with it. And so there was a time frame, though. Uh, there was a, a ticking clock that they had to have a, a purchaser who had a 501c3 in order to to make the whole deal function properly. There wasn't one out there that really worked within their own internal bylaws and setting one up in a quick way could be dicey. You know, we, we wanted everything to be above board and really legal, not only in the letter of the law, but also the spirit of the law, both. And so First Presbyterian Church has the 501c3 already uh, to do service like this is right in our wheelhouse and our mission statement and what we're all about. So we said yes, we will. Uh, we'll step up and do this. So, um, so we contributed just about zero dollars financially, but I would say no exaggeration, uh, hundreds if not thousands of donated hours of legal expertise. I don't know how to really tabulate that because because of how many meetings there were, but just hour after hour after day after month. Um, of going through all the legalities and inspections, uh, making sure all the finances worked out. The finances got contributed in from a lot of places. Some of it was COVID money that the city had to spend out within a certain time frame. Some of it was uh, through Rasmussen and other nonprofits. There were some businesses in town, you know, lots of different places all contributing in not only to the initial purchase price, but also one year's worth of operating cost. So here's the funny part is there is, while this is all going on, Behind the scenes, they're also trying to set up another entity that would purchase the hotel from us. We don't know how to own a hotel or run one, you know, and and when you're intending a building like this one to to help house people who are low income but workforce ready, there are lots of other social supports that need to be in place. And we're just not equipped to do all of that stuff. So we had to have that year's worth of operating costs in order to keep the thing functioning properly. In the meantime, they're trying to set up a purchasing entity in the background, which they've since done. But we didn't know if that would happen. So there was a gamble. And Michelle and everyone involved were very clear to say, if you do this, there's a chance you might end up owning a hotel, not knowing what to do with it. And you'll just be sunk financially and your church will disappear forever. <laughs> so we were like, okay, yeah, sure. Let's let's bite at that hook. <laughs> that sounds like fun. So um all that being said, it went through very well. Uh, the downtown community council and some other community councils expressed some reservations about what it might do to the surrounding neighborhoods. We spoke with them, formed some good partnerships. It went through very nicely, and so did the resale. We sold it again. I think we made a profit of about uh, $85. I'm really bad with, with numbers. We retained that $85 because we knew we needed to pay for some extra help when it came time to pay our taxes in April of that year. And so we use that $85 to pay for, you know, maybe an hour's worth of accountancy help. And then whatever was left over, maybe another 12 bucks, I don't remember exactly. We donated that amount 
to the new entity that purchased the hotel from us, which squared us out at having paid $0 and having earned $0. So pretty clean deal right there. Well, what I love about that story is one that it's a pretty creative um, way to think about um, responding to homelessness. And then also that it, you started out with talking about there's all these different folks that were involved. It was a very like community project. Yeah. Um, in the end, like and it, maybe maybe I'm asking the wrong person, but I think I'm asking the right person. In the end, how many folks ended up being housed in that facility? What does that look like now that it's been moved from being kind of a commercial hotel into yeah. housing for folks? And again, please never trust my specific numbers. I might be off a bit because uh, uh, I went into ministry because I can't do math. But uh, <laughs> the, uh, so did I actually, as it turns out. <laughs> If I'm if I'm in the right ballpark, it's in the it's in the neighborhood of 85 people. Uh, let me rephrase that. I think 85 room, 85 rooms up to 135 people because some are doubles, some are not. Some are double rooms but have a single occupant because you know no one can be forced to double up. So we should clarify: this is not shelter. This is housing, meaning that the the residents who stay there are paying a rent. Oftentimes, they're paying that rent with some help from other outside sources, vouchers and the like. But they they have a home that they lock when they leave for work in the morning and they go back to in the evening. And as such, they have rights and respect to that come with that where we don't tell them, here's your roommate, deal with it. You know, they they choose a great deal of their own life through their free choices. So I believe it was 135 rooms Um and I think in a situation like this, they tend to be, you want it to be about 90% occupied because there's always some type of turnover. Some of those rooms are for people who have special physical needs. Some are for people who have special emotional or psychiatric needs. Um, and the majority of them are workforce ready. So they either already have a job while homeless or they are actively seeking a job and ready to take one when offered. That's great. And I love that it's not shelter, that it's that it's actually it's a home. It's a place to live. Right. So right. That's great. Which there's just not enough. <laughs> that's in a whole other, a whole other direction we could go. <laughs> um, that's, that's the big one. Um, I know that, like you said, you're involved in a whole bunch of things in the city. So from your perspective, I, I guess I would like to ask the question that we're asking this year on the the podcast of what is possible in this area of homelessness. Like I know that this is often an issue that people feel like something should be done, but what um, yeah. kind of, how do you see what is possible um, in Anchorage as it relates to our unhoused neighbors? Well, there's, you know, there's the talking points and there's the real heart of it. In my opinion, the real heart of it is the goal has to be zero homelessness. Absolutely. None. A hundred percent eliminated the things that cause homelessness. Um, I think the the more um, measured response that people put out on the literature that we're aiming for is making homelessness rare, brief, and non-recurring, which is great. You know, that's a really good goal also. Um, and once we get there, I believe, then we readjust our vision and say, now it's time to aim for actual zero. Uh, but, but rare, brief, and non-recurring is a really wonderful step to go toward. So I, I do think that's possible. Um, in fact, we see other places where they've pretty much done it. We know if you take the time to study it, we know what the steps are to get there. So yeah, it's definitely possible to make it rare, brief and non-recurring. And I, I believe it's also possible to make it completely gone. Could you give a couple of examples of what those steps are in the places that you've looked and, and yeah. where, where they're working? 
Yeah. I'll tell you the steps and I'll tell you the reason it's not done. Uh, the steps are uh, providing housing, kind of like at the the guest house or at the Alex or, the, you know, the various other hotels that have been repurposed for this type of work. Um, housing, 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 housing. It's It sounds super simple. Um, it's not simple, but it also is intuitive. The way to eliminate homelessness is with homes. And that requires the stability that comes with having a simple, decent place to live, to feel safe and warm and protected. And you can then start filling in those other blanks, such as um, finding a job, getting mental health care, getting physical health care, addressing addictions, if those are present, addressing uh, post-traumatic stress, if that's an issue. There are a lot of things that come up that we see as comorbidities with homelessness, but not necessarily the only cause. Um, and so those things all come with first providing housing and the supports that go along with it, like the ones I mentioned. If we were tomorrow to provide 100% free mental health care to every single resident in the state of Alaska, we would see the numbers drop enormously. Same with addiction care. They drop enormously. All sorts of um, various things that we could that we could provide um, as preventative steps and then also providing housing on the, the way to exit. Those things will do the job. The reason we don't do them, they cost money. We just have to decide we're willing to pay for it. And the crazy part is as if, as if compassion weren't enough, but if it weren't, the crazy part is if we were to do that, it saves us money in the long run. So the people that are like, I'm not going to pay taxes for blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah, go through the math. And again, like I said, it, it takes a lot to make me look at math, but I have. And to to look at the math, it's cheaper over the course of a 5, 10, you know, 20 or 50 year arc. We will be saving money enormously if we just put those preventative steps in. If we pay that price for the prevention and pay that price for the housing to exit, holy smokes, we're going to be saving millions. Yeah, that's yeah. I think exactly the reason it doesn't get done is it's it appears to be quite expensive, but in the ways that you've explained mm -hmm. there, and in the long run, it's not. It just appears to be in the in the the front end. Yeah, yeah, and prevention in particular, because that then think of think of the trauma that gets imprinted on the soul of a child who experiences homelessness and the ripple effects that plays out in their entire lives. Um, it's not about finances. I know that's something that has to be considered, but if you can prevent a child from being in a situation where they're homeless, that will uh, shine a light on the rest of their lives. It's not just making it rare and brief. If we make it never happen in the first place, that child has one less uh, gigantic check mark in their uh, ACEs score, if you're familiar with all that stuff. Um, you know, one less uh, burden they're carrying around the rest of their life. Yeah, absolutely. Um so if you had somebody come to you and wanted to get involved um, with homelessness, but like maybe feels overwhelmed, like in the ways that I was talking about earlier, where would you point them to, to get involved if they were looking to to reach out and, and to step in and want to play a part? Hmm. I think one of the things that can get lost in dealing with broad social issues or, you know, how to address budget issues, something that we are in danger of losing is our human connection, you know, the humanity of the people who are experiencing the homelessness. So I would probably say find some 
trusted agencies that that the person trusts. Um, unfortunately, politics often plays a role there, right? But there there are good institutions on both sides of the aisle that they could find. So um, so reach out to one of those that you know. Some folks might prefer the Gospel Rescue Mission or the Emergency Cold Weather Shelter or the Hope Center or Beans Cafe. There's all sorts of different trusted, established programs out there. Go through them and volunteer for a while and um, and and work that way for a while. Um, I forget who said this. Maybe you know, but um, I think it was one of our liberation theologians from Central or South America who said, oh, you tell me you care for the poor. Tell me, what are their names? Right. And so get to know people and listen to their stories and hear them and make it 1,000% human. After that, dropping another quote on you from Desmond Tutu, which is, we can only pull bodies out of the water for so long before we start going upstream to ask why do people stop, why do people keep falling in, right? So once you've done some volunteering with that and you've made it so deeply human in your heart, it's time to be advocating for the structural and political changes that are necessary to prevent homelessness. I'm sorry, that's my alarm going off. There you go. <laughs> which which is a kind of a good segue into the last question which is i know you're you're a busy person in the city you're doing all kinds of different work is there something that you do either a spiritual or self-care or mindfulness practice that you engage in that, that helps keep you centered in all that you're doing it's a wonderful question and um one thing to I think it's very individual. Uh, I know that some people view religion as, you know, we're trying to tell everybody to do something. And that's really not the way it is. As as you know, it's um, it's very individualized. And for me, I, I have ADHD. And I think my spiritual life is an expression and a reflection of that. It both benefits and suffers from it. So I don't have routines and patterns. It's very different from day to day. Some of the things that I do, depending on what I feel I need in the moment, um, Sometimes it's the actual prayer that you would see on TV where I walk into the church sanctuary and I sit down and I talk to God. Sometimes I speak out loud with my mouth because that keeps me on track. And when it's just in my head, I'm suddenly I'm daydreaming about Star Wars or whatever. I'm like, oh, shoot, I'm supposed to be praying right now. Um, so that's one thing. Um, going on long walks with my dogs, hiking with my family. Um, I am a painter, so I paint um, and draw. I create artwork. Um, those things all help me feel centered and connected. I also, um, w I have a playlist that is just full of music that kind of helps me to, to meditate and pray and get centered in that way. I run, um, I try to run every other day and that really helps it. It not only releases the built up stress and frustration, but it gives me time for what I like to call letting my mind off leash. You know, I'm not doing anything. I'm, I can't stop and write stuff down. I literally can't work. And so all I'm doing is, is running and, and letting my brain get refilled. I also have an amazing benefit that I am married to an ordained minister. And so she is, is the world's best um, teacher and confidant. And, you know, I, so whenever there's a frustration in my spiritual life, whether it's the ministry side or just the personal side, it, it, she gets it and has wonderful wise counsel. She has recently taken the job as our executive presbyter. So in, in some ways, she's my supervisor also. So it's like a, a doubly helpful thing. She can see on both sides of that boundary. Well, thank you so much for sharing that of how you keep yourself centered and for sharing with us um, some ways to think about what's possible as it relates to homelessness. I appreciate that. 
It is my pleasure. It's great to see you again. I'm sorry it's virtually, but uh, maybe we can hang out sometime soon. thanks to Andre Parker and Matt Schultz for joining me. The answer to our community's issues are rooted in our collective humanity and relationality. I encourage you to get involved. Volunteer. Let's dive into what is possible. Until next time, I'm Joel Kiekenfeld. Be good out there. Thank you so much for listening. We're grateful for you, our listeners. If you are grateful for what you're hearing, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and recommend us to your friends. Those are small things, but they make a huge difference. The Anchored City Podcast is a production of the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative. The mission of the collaborative is to train the heads, hearts, and hands of urban leaders to love their city and seek its peace. When we say peace, we mean a desire to see a world where all things are the way they're supposed to be for all people. Find us online at anchorageutc.org or on social media at Anchorage UTC. Resources used to make this episode can be found in the show details. Our theme music is by Anchorage's own Monica Lender.